long time ago, I heard or read a story about this couple that had been married for 20-some years and their marriage was falling apart. They were headed for a divorce. And as you know, divorce can be messy financially. And so the guy was going through all of the financial records of their relationship so that he could figure out the ultimate settlement. And he got surprised along the way. Because as he was digging through their financial history, he, he started building a pile of memories that, that started stirring him emotionally in ways that he hadn't been stirred for a long time. I mean, he, found, he literally found the canceled check. And for you younger people, a check was a little piece of paper that you used to put your name on and sign and stuff, and the bank would honor that. But, you know, he um, found a canceled check for the for the payment to the hotel for their honeymoon some 20 years ago. And it just, whoa, all those memories flooded back and the treasured moments of those particular days. And then found the check for the very first car that they purchased together. And I mean, I have memories of that with my wife, Roxanne, that first car. I mean, it's a meaningful thing. Tons of memories come through with those those kind of things. And so remembered that first car and the emotions started stirring and I found the check for the down payment for their very first home and you know a house is just a house until uh, a, a relationship's formed inside and a family's built and, and all the memories and the treasured moments of family that they had together started flooding to his mind then he, then he actually found each of the checks to each of the hospitals where their kids were born and I mean it just all started flooding together in a way that it hadn't for a long time and his heart started welling up with the knowledge of what he really treasured. He treasured her, he treasured what they had, he treasured their family, and so he pushed aside all the things that they thought they had lost, and he started trying to rebuild the relationship with her, and and in this particular case, it worked, and they didn't get divorced, but instead they went on to live a cherished and memorable life together. Now I know, you know, Northridge is a place for cynics, right? And so a bunch of you going, yeah, great sitcom, doesn't work like that in real life, and it's too easy, too simple, doesn't solve like that, and, and I get it, there's so much involved in relationships and fracturing, but, but I guess it's the romantic side of me, and for those of you who don't know me well, I'm an unbelievable romantic <laughs> that just loves a story like that. But, but here's the point I want you to see. Their financial records ultimately is what helped them to relive the treasured memories of their lives. And that's true in all of our lives. Do you realize it's our, it's our financial records that tell the true story of our lives? What we value, what we love, and the lifestyle that we've lived. It's our financial records. In fact, probably more than anything else, it's our financial records that bear out the true essence, the true nature of our relationship with God. Because whether you realize it or not, what we invest our financial treasure in is what we truly treasure. And here's the sad fact. In most people's lives, there's absolutely no sign that God is what they treasure. Because God's nowhere seen in their financial records or statements. And you need to know this is a big deal. 
Very often it makes us uncomfortable to talk about money, to talk about the issues of giving and how it attaches to our, to our lives. But, but if we're really making God the treasure of our lives, if we're really making God the primary pursuit of our lives, if we're really experiencing God's impact and touch in our lives, it will evidence itself in what we do with our earthly treasure, with our finances. Because here's the truth I want you to see this weekend. Genuine love expresses itself through generosity. Genuine love, when it's really there and in our lives, expresses itself through generosity. You you can't be a parent and not know this, and I know not all of you are parents, but let me just tell you something. When I had kids, I had no question that I had to invest financially in them. I mean, it was a big deal. They're now all adults. I still have no question that I have to continue <laughs> investing financially in them. I mean, and genuine love expresses itself that way. It really does. Look at God. God is a great example of this. John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he... Yeah. A lot of you are saying, I will not buy into this talk. I don't care if it's true, you know. God so loved the world, he gave. He couldn't help himself. Because genuine love expresses itself through generosity. He didn't, he didn't give himself to us because we were so worthy. We were so compelling. Our love for him drew him in. He, he loved us, and so he couldn't help himself. He needed to give himself to us. It, He had to be generous because genuine love expresses itself through generosity. God so loved the world, he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him wouldn't perish but have eternal life. Love gives its best. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, Jesus is a perfect example of this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, and that word grace is so big. It's, it's, you know the unconditional love. You know the fact that he was willing to sacrifice everything to give to us what we didn't deserve or earn. You know God's love. You know Jesus' love for us. And here's how you can know it, that though he was rich, he had everything, yet for your sakes he became poor. He took your nothing so that you through his poverty might become rich. Why did Jesus give everything to us and for us because genuine love expresses itself through generosity it can't help itself and yet isn't it interesting that so many people claim to have a love for God and yet they don't express it in any way through giving or generosity it it means that their words might be empty I, I can't imagine one of us here would look at a deadbeat dad or a deadbeat mom who claims to have absolute love for their kids, but does nothing to be generous in the investment of their lives, I think we'd say, they don't love those kids. If they love those kids, what would they do? They'd be generous with those kids. They wouldn't require the court to manipulate and force them to be generous with them. If they loved them, they would be giving to them. All of us would agree with that. Well, the same is true in our relationship with God. Genuine love expresses itself through generosity. It can't help itself. And that moves to a bigger reality. Because in our relationship with God, what we're claiming is that we have experienced his 
unconditional love. We've experienced his unconditional grace in our lives in such a way that we've been forgiven when we didn't deserve to be forgiven. We've been, we've been given the gift of his love when we didn't deserve it. Our failures aren't final because of what he's done for us. And, and we're claiming to have experienced his generous love. But here's the reality. When we experience generous love, it always leads to generous expressions of love. When we receive generous love, it leads to generous expressions of love. I mean, this is so anecdotal in all of our life story. I, you know, I made fun of, you know, I'm really romantic. But the truth is, though, I have a longing to be romantic. I'm not really all that good at it, right? Roxanne was always in our relationship, uh, the one who kind of like was romantic and kind of moving us along, and then I would respond. And I, I, the first gift that either of us bought for one another was from her. She bought me a great gift, and I'm oh my gosh, that's awesome. And, and by the way, I remember it to this day. It was a really expensive keychain. We were in college, expensive for us at the time, and, and it had, you know, happy birthday or something on it. And then it was the very first time she ever said this. Um, she had carved into the keychain, Love Roxanne. You know, and I was a young buck, very hot, I mean in love. And, um, and that... That meant a ton to me. It was like, she loves me. That's unbelievable. And so you know what I did? I went out and got her something and basically copied the very same thing and gave it to her. Why? Because when you have genuine love expressed to you, you want to respond in the same way. And this is very true in our relationship with God. I mean, it's very, very true. And I want to show you two stories where it's clear that genuine love really does express itself through generosity. And when we experience God's generous love, we can't help ourselves but want to respond to him with generous love. Uh, the first example is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 37 and 38. And then I'll finish the story at the end. But look what it says. When a woman who had lived a sinful life in that town learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, the religious leader's house. She brought an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. She's washing his feet with her tears and her hair, and then she kissed them and poured her perfume out on them. Now, you just stop there. This is an unbelievable story. This woman was known as, according to this, as a sinful woman. That is a tagline for someone who was living the life of immorality, living the life of a prostitute. This woman was ostracized from her culture and, and the religious world of her day. The Pharisee, the spiritual leader, really thought she didn't deserve to live. There's a story in the Bible where they caught a woman in the bed of adultery and threw her naked in the street in front of Jesus and, and said... She's been committing adultery. She deserves to die. And if you remember the story, Jesus looked at them and said, okay, then whichever one of you have never sinned, kill her. And they all walked away. And then he reached down to this woman who had been so ashamed and treated so shamelessly and helped her up and said, go and sin no more. I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to forgive you. Go and sin no more. It could have been that woman who's here. But it was a woman for sure, for sure, just like her, whom had experienced his love, 
his generous expressions of love in a world that had betrayed her and condemned her and wanted her dead. And this woman had been so moved by this expression of love from Jesus that she came to this Pharisee's house. Remember, the Pharisees are the ones that wanted sinful people to die. And she didn't care. She was going to do whatever it took to come to Jesus and express generosity and love to him because she had experienced it from him. You probably don't know it, but this jar of perfume, it sounds pretty simple. We all have a bunch of perfume and it's expensive, but not all that expensive. And But this jar of perfume would have represented her entire life savings, her entire worth. It was probably a year of wages. It's all she had. And she was so moved by his generous love that she broke that and gave her life savings to perfume his feet. Other stories tell us that the disciples complained about the money being wasted, but in this setting, the Pharisee named Simon who didn't treat Jesus very well, didn't treat him like a good host, didn't wash his feet, didn't do anything for him, actually was being cynical about him. And, and when Jesus was having this woman wash his feet, this, this Simon guy was thinking some things, right? When saying them out loud, was thinking some things. And what's cool about this story, it tells us a lot about Jesus. Jesus knew what he was thinking. Doesn't that scare the living daylights out of you? He knows as you're looking at me right now, what you think of the pants that I'm wearing. He knows what you think. You know? He knows whether the smile on your face and what lies behind it. You know? He knows that the minute you heard me say giving and money, you wanted to leave, but you're embarrassed and you're not going to do it. You know? He knows what's going on in, in this story. He knew what was being thought and Simon was saying... If he was really who he says he was, he wouldn't let this sinful woman touch him. This religious guy didn't understand God very well, did he? And so Jesus says, Simon, I know what you're thinking. Let me ask you a question. If there were two people who owed money, but one of them owed a large amount and the other owed a small amount, and they were both forgiven, which one would respond with the greater love? Well, the one who was forgiven for more money, right? Look at how this story ends. Do you want to know why she's reacting to me this way? I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. She experienced generous love. She knew that she needed forgiveness. And this is why she's now loving much. But he who has been forgiven little loves little. He's saying, do you know why you haven't even cared about me being here and haven't taken care of me here? Because you haven't experienced my generous love. You don't even think you need it. And all Jesus is saying here is generous love leads to generous expressions of love. And when people aren't responding to God with generosity, what's it say? They might sing the songs, they might say the words, they might look the part, they might go to church, they might be really religious, but they have not truly experienced the loving touch of Jesus changing their lives. Because genuine love leads to expressions of generosity. There's another story here, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. You need to know the context. There was a church, uh, the church of Corinth. It's a city. It was quite rich and quite prosperous. People had more than enough, and they had said they were going to give to people in need, but they didn't ultimately follow through. And so Paul decides to show them that if they really loved Jesus, they would be generous because anyone who's truly experienced the loving touch of of God really does become generous. And so he shows them the Macedonian churches. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 8. And now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. 
I mean, they're living in severe trial right now. They're in persecution. And even though they have overflowing joy, it, it belies the reality of their circumstances because they're living in extreme poverty. They have nothing. And yet in their poverty and in their trial, in their difficulties, they have welled up in rich generosity. What's he saying? Corinth, you say you love God, but you don't demonstrate it by your generosity. The Macedonians have nothing And yet they've been so impacted by God's love that they have welled up with rich generosity. And look at, it goes on. It says, I testify that they gave as much as they were able. And they gave beyond their ability, even more than their ability. And they did it entirely on their own. Not because they had to, but because they wanted to. They had experienced generous love. They wanted to express it. And so they urgently pleaded with us, Paul says, for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. Why did they have to plead with Paul? Well, because Paul said, you guys are poor. You, you guys are giving too much. You, don't have a, you can't give this much. And they literally pleaded with him to take their offering. Now, can I just step out of the passage just for a minute and give you a little aside? I've been, I've been a pastor for three decades. Three decades. I've never had one person come and beg me to take more of their money. Not one. Ever. Now, if you'd like to change that, I'll be glad to meet you after the service. Please take more. But that's just never happened. Step back into the story. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Now, that's interesting. He says, it's not a big thing that they gave this generous offering. Because they've already given their entire lives. Because of Jesus' generous forgiveness and grace in their lives they responded by saying I'm going to give you my entire life and if you've given your entire life money is not a big deal right isn't it interesting that there are people say I've given him my entire life but he can't have a dime I mean that's dishonest because genuine love leads to expressions of generosity when we've experienced his generous love we express generosity back the Bible's filled with this truth, but, you know, there's an application to us, right? It's very interesting. I've been teaching for a very long time, and I've learned to kind of read people, and, and you're really being quiet right now. <laughs> like, you don't want me to know you're here, right? I look at people when I talk. I mean, I'm having a conversation with people, and every time I look, it's like people... You know, they don't want to get eye contact. There's an application to this truth. If we are genuinely experiencing God's love, if we have experienced his love in our lives, if we are experiencing his love in our lives, if if we genuinely love him, I mean, the Pharisee said he loved God, but he didn't really because he wasn't generous at all in his expressions of love. But if we really love God, then this is the reality. We should be showing it by our generosity. In fact, if we are genuinely experiencing his love, and if we genuinely love him, we won't be able to help ourselves. We're going to show it by our generosity. So here's the question. Are you? I mean, look at Matthew 7, 18 and 20. These are the words of Jesus. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit. A bad tree cannot bear good fruit. So by your fruit, you'll recognize them. Now, you might go, what's that have to do with anything? Well, it's simple. A good tree bears good fruit. Does a good tree bear selfishness or does a good tree 
bear generosity. You don't even want to say it out loud, do you? I get get it. Because the minute we say it, it's self-indicting. But a good tree bears not selfishness. That's not good. It bears generosity. A bad tree bears selfishness. It's all about me, invested in self. It doesn't bear. And so what Jesus is saying, look, a good tree can't, can't do anything but bear the fruit of generosity. It can't help itself. But a bad tree can't do anything but invest in itself, be selfish, because it's a bad tree. And then it says, so by a person's fruit, you'll be able to recognize them. Not by their words. Oh yeah, I love God. I love God so much. Watch my hands raise when we sing. <laughs> I mean, that, that's easy. But by their fruit, you'll recognize them. Are they generous or not? You'll know whether they've experienced genuine love for God or not. And so we'll be able to do it to ourselves. But it's really hard to apply it to ourselves, right? You know, I mean... You know, we're all falling short in this area in certain places. I know I am. And, you know, most of us have experienced betrayal in life. In fact, if we're honest, all of us have experienced betrayal in life. And you know what, what, what betrayal leads to? It leads to betrayal, right? Betrayal leads to retaliation, to payback. And that's where most people are. And most people can't break through with generosity because they feel like life has robbed them and God has robbed them and people have robbed them. And so they're going to make up for it by, you know, payback in themselves. But, but genuine love changes that. Genuine love changes our heart. So now we don't want to pay back. We want to pay forward. We want to be giving forward, right? So here's what I'm going to do. Since it's so hard to start out by applying it to ourselves, I want to apply it to others. And so this is going to be a really neat 10, 15 minute run. And I'm going to tell you right in front, I'm not asking you to judge yourself for the next 10, 15 minutes, all right? Don't judge yourself. Let yourself off the hook. It's all good. Breathe, okay? What I'm going to let you do is what religious people love to do. I'm going to ask you for the next 15 minutes to stand in judgment of a bunch of other people. Isn't that awesome? I mean, we're going to, the pastor is asking you, don't judge yourself. Let's judge others. Woohoo! Okay, I mean, we're going to have some fun. And I'm going to give you four test cases. And I'm going to ask you to stand in judgment of these people. Now, the reason it's wrong for us to judge each other is because we really, we don't know what's going on in each other. You don't know my heart. I don't know your heart. We don't know the circumstances and everything. So if we stood in judgment, we're going to get it wrong. But God's given us four stories where he's given us the inside look. We know what's going on inside, outside, around them. We know the answer. So we have every right to judge these people. And I want you, and I want you to judge them harshly, okay? Four tests. And this is the judgment question. I just want you to, as we go through these stories, ask this question. What does their giving say about their love for God? Okay, now we're going to be able to judge on this one. This is going to be fun. What does their giving say about their love for God? Now, I'm a person who really believes that teachers should give the students the answers so the students know the answers and can get them right on the test. How many of you have ever had teachers that never told you the answers, gave you tests, and loved to give you an F? Did you have teachers like that? Yeah, they should be fired, every one of them. That's just the way I feel. But, so I'm going to give you the answers to the test so that you have the right answers, and we're all going to have a win-win. A-A-A-A, all the way through. You ready? All right, so I'm going to title the story, and in the title you have the answer. You can't get it wrong, Okay. So what does their giving say about their love for God? The first story, let's title it this. The man who did nothing with his much. The operative word here is he did 
Nothing. We already know we get to be hard on this dude, right? All right, let's read the story. Luke 12, 16 through 21. Take note of all the eyes and all the mys in this story. Guy's really invested in himself. And he told them this parable. Jesus is telling them this story. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. A rich man got even richer. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will, I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. Just an aside. If God looks at you and says, you fool, that's not good. (laughs) This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you've prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who lives like him, who stores up things for himself, but is not rich toward God. This is what it's like for anyone who doesn't love God enough to be generous. Do you got that? Do you know how many eyes there were? Six. Do you know how many my's there were? Five. That's a lot of I and my. Throwing a little pie and you've got yourself a real party. I mean, this is big stuff here. That was really bad, wasn't it? I don't know. I, just, you know, I still write checks, so my humor sometimes shows it. What did his giving say about his love for God? I gave you the answer. He didn't love God. He loved himself. I and my. Reminds me of some of my prayers, quite frankly. I pray for the one I love the most, so there's a lot of I, me, and my. He was invested only in himself. He was invested in himself. So of all about him. There's a second story. Here's the title for the second story. The woman who did much with little. The operative word is much. But it's also important that you know she has little because a lot of people who have little don't think they can give. If God had given me more, if God had given me different circumstances, if it was different, you know, I'd be giving, but I've been given little. So, so I'll let people who've been given a lot to give and all that different stuff. And that's how, but the woman who did much with her little, look at Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. That is a bad news sentence for most of us. Jesus, <laughs> there was a treasury where People were supposed to come and give to God. The temple was opulent in this big treasury. And Jesus pulled up a chair right there and just was kind of watching people give. Ooh, oh, talk about threatening. But it set people up. Because when someone's watching, what's your tendency? To give them a show. So if you're getting ready to put a dollar in the offering plate, which is more than many give... But you see someone watching, there's the five spot, right? He's literally watching. And just so you know, as an aside, he's always watching what we're giving. Ooh. Many rich people threw in large amounts. But a poor widow came 
and put in two very small copper coins worth only a fraction of a penny. Let me give you an object lesson. We, we did a video. One of our team members from Israel um, bought some ancient coins. These are the real deal from the Holy Land. And they're going to show you their different sizes and shapes. They were made of real metal. The heavier they were, like that big silver one there, I mean, the, the more valuable. And then the smaller they are, the less valuable. Those little two, those are mites, less than a fraction of a penny. This is what the lady threw in to the offering, two mites. So rich people were throwing in their big silver coins worth tons of money. And, you know, this is easy. I mean, the bigger the coin, the heavier the coin, the more it makes noise. Just see if you can hear this. Ready? Could you hear that? Now, I know you guys who sit up in the balcony don't think I can see you. (laughs) I can. But I bet you can hear this, right? Can you hear that up in the balcony? Yeah, sure you can. Now, here's the mite. About the size of my shirt button here. Very, very thin. Not even room to carve on it. Here's that. All right, what's more impressive? Yeah. Now, if no one's watching, this is what makes me feel good when I'm giving. But if someone's watching, this makes me feel good. Right? Everyone was throwing in these big coins. Boom, 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 boom. Then this lady comes, and she throws in these two mites. All right, now, here's the thing. No one was impressed. I mean, come on. How pitiful is that? A couple of pennies. It's not even going to buy bread for anyone. Who cares? A loser. She must not love God much. But then the story continues. It's pretty interesting. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, I'm going to tell you something that you don't know. I'm going to tell you the truth. This poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything. How much? Everything. All she had to live on. All she had in the world, she put it in there. There's so much in this. First of all, can I just say, I've never given every penny I have. Never. I feel like I'm a sacrificial giver. I feel like I've stepped out and been generous. I've never even come close to giving everything I have. She's amazing. It didn't look impressive, but it was impressive. When was the last time you think Jesus called all of his disciples over to show them what you were doing? Genuine love expresses itself differently. It expresses itself in generosity, and she was as generous as she could be. What did her giving say about her love for God? She loved him with her whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. You you really want to know the truth about her? The, The rich fool was fully invested in himself. She was fully invested in God. She was all in. And you say, how could she give it all? She knew where it came from. She trusted him enough to take care of her so much that she could throw it all in. God's not asking us to throw it all in all the time, but she was so consumed with his love for her that she couldn't help herself. And I want you to realize there's a lot to learn in this thing. God doesn't focus so much on how much we give. Did you know that? Everybody was impressed with the big coins and no one was impressed with the little coins, but Jesus wasn't impressed with how much people gave. You know what he was impressed by? You know what he focused on? How much they kept. And there was only one that day who kept nothing. 
We're often very impressed with ourselves when we think about how much we give, but what we should be starting to do is analyze how much we keep. And don't most of us keep most of it? This really impacts me because she could have surrendered to the lie that I often surrender to, that boy, I really can't give enough to make a difference. Don't you ever feel like that? My little bit won't make a difference anyway. She could have surrendered to the lie that, that if God wanted her to give, he would have given her more. She could have surrendered to the lie that, hey, the treasury didn't need it. I mean, look at all the rich people throwing money in. Look at the opulence of the place. They, they, you know, God doesn't need it. But she didn't. She realized that she couldn't help herself. I want you to know something. If we can keep from giving to God that means we haven't genuinely experienced the life-changing generosity of his love in our lives. Because when we really experience it, we can't help ourselves. It's not about what's needed. It's about who he is. That's a big one to me. Why couldn't she help herself? Because she genuinely loved God. And I'm challenged by this because I have to ask myself, how do I measure up? All right, there's a, I mean, we're into the judgment business here, so we have to get to some fun. She's no fun because she makes us feel bad about life, you know? It's like, ah, give me someone that makes me feel better about myself. All right, let's go to the third one. Ready? This is the man who did nothing. Ah, this is going to be fun. We're going to be better than him. The man who did nothing with his little. And that's interesting, isn't it? Did nothing with his little. Look at Matthew 25, 24 through 27. A, a king who's representative of God gave money to three of his servants. This is the guy who got the least amount of money from his king. Then the man who had received just one talent, that's a sum of money, came and said, Master, you know, I knew that you're a hard man, harvesting where you've not sown, gathering where you've not scattered seed, so I was afraid. And I went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here's what belongs to you. I, I wasn't willing to invest it, take any risk with it. I, I, just, I just sat on it. And this would be akin to us, you know, keeping all of our money until we die and then saying, okay, God, you can have it now. But he, he, that's not what God wants. And so he held on to it, never invested, never took any risks, stayed comfortable. His master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered. See, you knew that I expected you to be generous in furthering my purposes. Well, then you should have put my money at least on deposit with a bank so that at least when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. The man who did nothing with his little. What did his giving say about his love for God? He didn't love God. He loved himself, and here's why. The first guy was invested in himself fully. The woman was invested in God fully. This guy is invested in his fear. He feared loss. He feared that he wouldn't have enough. He feared that it'd go wrong. He feared that he'd lose it. He feared that he'd be jaded. He feared, which meant he loved himself. He was more concerned about himself than the king, than his God. It's a big deal. And I believe this is where most of us are. I believe most of us aren't generous because we're where this guy was. We are invested in our fear. Whereas the woman could give it all because she could trust God with nothing. Most of us have to hold on really tightly because we're worried about tomorrow and the next day and God might not come through. So what's our judgment? This guy didn't love God. He loved himself. He was invested in his fear. 
Then there's a fourth story. The man who did much with his much. The man who did much with his much. Matthew 25, 20, 21, the man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. He invested it all. He put it all out there and he, he did something for God and his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Before I get to the judgment question, let me just point out, come and share your master's happiness. Do you know who the most miserable people in the world are? People like the rich fool and people like the wicked and lazy servant. Do you know why? Because a heart that is living based upon betrayal and based upon what they're owed and based upon what they haven't gotten can't be happy. It's always trying to get back what it lost. But the generous ones are the ones that are invited into happiness. And you know, many of us, especially in the church world, we put on the pretense that we're generous. I mean, you look around, doesn't everybody look like, wow, this is, I bet you everybody's really generous here, and you know, but, but it's pretend, because most people aren't. And let me just give you a word of caution. Pretense will make other people think something's true of you, but it won't make you think it's true of you pretense will always leave you empty and unhappy always which is why the church is so filled so often with such sad and despairing and unhappy and empty people it's because they're pretending to be something they're not but they've never really experienced his love what a horrible place to be what did his giving say about his love for God? He loved him enough to obey him. He loved him enough to give him his best. He loved him enough to, to, to sacrifice security and comfort, to take a risk for him. That's what. And so now I'm wondering, uh, think about this. If you had to switch places with one of these four people and you now get their eternal reality, you have to switch with them and get what they now are experiencing in eternity, which one would you switch with? I know you'd switch with the guy that Jesus called a fool. You'd go, I want to be him. No, you wouldn't. And yet, isn't it interesting? Most of us are living like the fool. Most of us are taking in an I and my and me and we're very invested in ourselves, not invested in anyone else or generosity. So isn't it interesting? We wouldn't switch places with him now, but we're living like he did when he was here. Would you switch places with the wicked and lazy servant? No. And yet, isn't it interesting? Most of us are sitting on and keeping buried all this stuff, not willing to step out and take a risk. We're invested in our fear. We're living like him, but we wouldn't switch places with him. Isn't that the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your life? And yet, we're doing it. We would want to switch places with the two who did right. And here's the neat thing. We don't have to switch places with them but we are going to be like them. Who are you most like? So let me ask you the question. Okay, we have to stop judging other people and it's time to evaluate ourselves. What does our giving say about our love for God? What does our giving say about our love for God? And let's, let's ask this first individually. Look what Jesus said in John 13, 35. 
By this, all men will know that you're my disciples if you vote Republican in the upcoming election. Oh, wait a minute. It's not in the Bible. Well, I've heard that preached and talked about it. I hear Christians talking about that all the time. It's not even in the Bible. By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you vote Democrat, everyone knows you have to be progressive if you love people. Do you know there are some Christians who believe that the test of your Christianity is whether you watch Fox News or MSNBC? Bull roar! By this, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another and love expresses itself how? Through generosity. It's easier to vote than it is to love, friends. So what does our giving say about our love for God as individuals? Does your giving prove that you've experienced the life-transforming grace of Jesus Christ in your life or are you like Simon the Pharisee saying, I'm glad I'm not like that sinful woman? And I'm going to just tell you, just up front, I'm not going to go anywhere with this. This is, this is your deal, but if you've never experienced God's generous love in your life, you need it. All of us have sinned and fall short of God's glory. Every one of us has fallen short. This is why Jesus came and died for us. God so loved the world, he gave his son that if you believe on him. And I just encourage you, if you want to start experiencing life like you long for, put your faith in Jesus. Take that step. It's something that only you can do. And if you do take that step, let us know. We give you a program when you come in here and there's a connection card inside and there's a place where you can tell us that you prayed to receive Jesus. Let us know. But where are you in your giving? And what does it say about your love for God? And isn't it interesting how it was so much easier when we were judging other people? I have no problem judging the fool. Pity the fool, right? That's how old I am, by the way. I had no problem judging the wicked and lazy servant. He's a loser. Put a big L on his head. But then it comes to me, and even when I'm living like them, what does my giving say about my life for good? It's okay. It's okay. I'm doing all right. And there are some circumstances that make it a little tougher for me. Isn't it interesting how differently we judge ourselves than we judge others? It's time we judge ourselves properly. What does your giving say about your love for God? And for many, it will be, it says, I don't really love him. Well, no wonder you're not experiencing him. No wonder you're not knowing his touch in your life. No wonder. And it's not that, remember, giving isn't the way to get a relationship with God. He's given you the relationship. You just receive it by faith. But you haven't experienced it or aren't now if you're not giving because giving is the response. What would you call me if I was a dad who had three children and never did anything for them financially from the time they were born till now? You'd call me a deadbeat dad. What do you call a believer who never gives anything to God? A deadbeat believer. Deadbeat. Or bit. They both work. You deadbeat beat. talk about ruining a good moment oh my let's go further what does our giving as a church say about our love for God 
What does our giving as a church say about our love for God? Because, you know, all my life I've seen the stories about people who are in ministry like me, pastors, and how they fleece the flock for their own benefit. And there are, there are so many people who are using God's church and God's name and all that different stuff to build their own life. I'm ashamed of that, that that really happens, but it does. There are churches that are all about themselves and just building parks and recreation for the middle class and doing nothing to really show God's compassion to the world. And we see, about, we see those all over the place. And you could look at this place and say, well, this place is all about itself. No, it's not. You know what I'm most proud about this place? I'm most proud that this place isn't about building up its own kingdom and its own stuff. It's, it's not about, you know, us few. It's about showing his compassion to the world. And we don't talk about it a lot because when we talk about it, it sounds like we're bragging and we don't like that, but it's important for you to know. Our local church, it's, you know who we reach? We reach hurting and broken and flawed people. That's who we reach at Northridge. We don't reach religious stars. They don't even like us. Do you know why the pastor of this church, me, is so broken and flawed and messed up? So that I can relate to you. <laughs> Northridge is like an ER for brokenness. And everything we're about is about investing his compassion and love uh, in everywhere, in, in service and in finances. I mean, do you, I don't know if you know this, but we have ministries to the military veterans and their families, to single parents, to married parents, to individuals whom we mentor and marriage mentors. We, we do ministry to elders who, who can't support themselves or get out and do anything. We have elder care ministry. We have job seekers programs and grief support and divorce recovery and divorce care. Why do we do that? These are people like the woman with the might. What are they going to do? Benefit us somehow? No, it's because we've experienced his love and we want to show his love. Last week I shared about the things we're doing in Zambia and all around the world, spending millions and millions and millions around the world to invest the world. Even though we don't have some huge budget here, we do it because we've genuinely fallen in love with Jesus and we genuinely want to express it through generosity. You can find all about it. I gave a book out last weekend, and if you didn't get one, we want everyone to have one. There's a devotional here I'll talk to you about in a minute, but inside it shares all the things we've done just in the last year to impact the world and locally. We have prison ministries to minister to prisoners. We have community gardens where we grow tons of food to minister to the poor and the hungry. We have ministries down in Detroit. We're trying to community develop and, and redevelop the community, and, and I mean, we're just always giving around the world. Last year we, did, we gave almost a million dollars at a Christmas offering and it, all of it, not one penny of it came here, all of it went to offset compassion and needs to the poor and, and in this all-in campaign we're just trying to expand our ability to do that. We did two million meals which went around the world but let me tell you one story that I think highlights the heart of this place. You probably don't know it but 18 miles from Northridge, Plymouth is a place called Vista Maria and it's a place where girls who have been abused within the foster system and have no other place to go are sent and it's where girls who are rescued in and from human trafficking sexual human trafficking are sent these are the people who have been betrayed by everything in life and they go to Vista Maria well when we found out about this place we started I mean our volunteers started going and just instead of betrayal showing love 
reaching out to these, these girls and many of them come to faith. We do a starting point ministry. So many things going on there where we're showing love. But we, the southeastern Michigan human trafficking thing is getting so large and so many girls are being rescued from that sexual trafficking thing that Vista Maria didn't have space for them. So last year we invested, this is just one of the things we do, $50,000 so that they could build a home and it has been recently finished. And girls are now girls who have been so betrayed by the world are now moving into this home and we are as a ministry trying to continue to invest God's love in them, God's truth in them and involve them and love them and wake them up to Jesus and that is a beautiful thing. What does, what does our giving as a church say about our love for God? Eh, this church loves God, it really does. But remember, a church isn't an organization. A church isn't a building. Churches and steeples, you can know that. We certainly don't have one, you know. So a church is people, right? A church is people. And so the fact that this church is giving and showing, you know, love for God doesn't mean we're doing it as well as we could because here's the amazing deal. Did you know less than 35% of the people who attend here have ever given a dime here? Less than 35%. That means over 65% have never given a dime. This is not judgment time. This is not attack time. You can come here forever and not give a dime. We'll give all of ourselves to you. We don't serve because you give us something. We serve because Jesus gave us everything. But let me just tell you something. If you live like the fool, you'll experience the life of the fool. If you live like the wicked and lazy servant, you'll experience the life of the wicked and lazy servant. You're robbing yourself. Imagine... The love this church could show in the world if every single one of us who come here decided to show their love for God by taking their next step on the giving journey. If you missed the talk last week, and I hope that you'll watch it online, we give it away for free, but we've laid out a giving journey to where all of us have a next step to take wherever that is. And if we all decided to take the next step, we could change the world. That giving journey is listed in this book as well. And I just want to encourage you to be thinking through, do I really love God or is that pretense? Have I really experienced his generous love? Am I expressing it generously? And I just want to encourage you, I, I, I don't care how much you give. That's not between me and you. I care that you experience the fullness of his love for you and here's what I know will happen. Then you will start expressing your love generously. And if it's two mites, but it's generous love, that's awesome. I want to encourage you to start praying because I believe if you start talking to God about your next step of giving, you'll take the right next step. I want to encourage you to keep coming to these talks to which I know what some of you are thinking. When's this series over? I'll be back then. But you're just robbing yourself. Keep engaging these truths because the truth can set you free. I want to encourage you, if you didn't get one of these, our guest services in the lobby of all four of our church campuses, they have these. You can get one, one for every person, not just one per family. And we wrote, we spent about three months writing devotionals, four weeks of devotionals that are life-changing. We've already had social media interaction with people who are going through it. It's really impacting their life. Get these, be faithful to those devotionals. Let God speak into your life. And I want to encourage you, to be praying for Northridge. Why? Because the world needs to see a place that loves Jesus so much they're willing to share it with compassion around the world. 
Do you know most people don't believe in Jesus because they're not seeing it? Wouldn't it be great if God so loved the world and the world knows it because Northridge decided it would love God? It would change us. Here's how I want to end. Jesus was asked, what's the greatest command? I mean, what's the, what's the big deal? Matthew 22, verse 37, Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. Kind of reminds me of the lady with the mites, right? Love God with all your heart. This is the first and greatest commandment. Interesting, but he didn't stop with just the one. He said, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Everything that God has ever commanded stems from those two. How come he had to give a second? He was just asked for one. Love God with all your heart. Leave it at that. No, the second's just like it. Got to love your neighbor yourself. Do you know why he had to throw in the second? Because he knew this. When you love God with all your heart, you can't help yourself but show that love to others generously. And so I know if I'm really loving God with my whole heart, if I can step out and love others generously, but if I can't, maybe it's not true. Let me ask you a question now. Forget about the fool. Forget about the one with the might. What does your giving say about your love for God? Do you love him with all your heart? In the beginning, I told you the story of a woman and a man who were getting a divorce. But that wasn't their ultimate story. Their ultimate story was they then got back together and built their life. In other words, their failure wasn't final. And you know what the good news is? All of us have failed on this issue of generosity and giving. I have failed big time in this area in the past. But here's the good news. Our failure doesn't have to be final. Do you realize we can go from selfish and foolish to generous in one choice? Here's the conclusion. We can't go all in on the great command until we go all in on giving. But when we go all in on the great command to love God, to love others, because we go all in on giving, do you know what happens? God looks at us and says, well done. Come and share in my happiness. Now that sounds like a decision worth making. I hope you will. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody.